Good morning, everybody. Um, last week I said that the weather wasn't going to be nice before a lot of you left, and I was very wrong. And I'm glad that, that all of you joined us on this beautiful Sunday, and we're enjoying this nice weather in this May season, a little bit early, feeling for summer. Hopefully you all have AC and stayed cool last night. Uh, my name is Danny. If, you have, if we haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and um, I have the privilege of being able to preach God's Word. Um, before I do that, I just wanted to share something that I was reading uh, not too long ago. Um, I was reading this like short blog post, and it was really simple. And it was describing the, the difference in the spiritual and the heart posture that we take into when we go to church, uh, kind of using the same root word. One is uh, having expectations, and the other is being expectant, or the other being expectant. And the author was talking about how when we go in and our heart posture is having all these expectations, we set ourselves up to to criticize or judge, to be really happy, to be disappointed, and the whole spectrum of like, oh, well, that service didn't meet my expectations, or, you know, they didn't play my favorite song, or the message was boring and I fell asleep, or, you know, the, it was too hot, or it was too cold. You know, we always have something that's not going to meet our expectations, or it's going to sway our church experience, versus being expectant, going in with an open heart, wanting and knowing that God is going to have something for me because he cares for me as his daughter or as his son, and coming in with more of a heart of humility, and also coming in with a heart of knowing that he actually loves you enough to give you more than just, ah, I'm just checking off the, the Sunday morning list that I've been doing for many years, and, and I realized it was challenging for me. I don't really come into church thinking like, oh, like it's got to do this for me, but I definitely do come in with low, with, without an expectant heart, not actually thinking that God is going to change our lives in one way or another, not actually expecting that. Actually, I'm a, his son coming into this place where he's my heavenly father who has everything in his control, and he can do way more in one hour that we spend together than I actually expect him to. And so uh, I want to just give us like, just a moment in silence, and then I'm going to pray. Just if that connects with you at all, like it did with me, just to kind of reorient ourselves and not be like, okay, what am I expecting from this? What am I going to get out of this service? As opposed to, Lord, you can provide anything and everything for me. And in the way that Pastor Hojin just prayed, when he blesses us, we bless him in return. And it's this mutual joint celebration. And so um, let's spend a moment in just some prayer. You can spend time in silence or just a reflection on your own, and, and then I'll pray for us. But let's, let's just pause, recognize that we're his children, and that we're here to give him all the glory. And he glorifies himself when our hearts just overflow for him. And so let's be expectant. Let's actually know that God's word has power in it um, and he's ready to feed our souls. So let's just sit on that for just a moment. Heavenly Father, it's your word that created everything. You spoke everything into existence, and it came to be. It's your word that has saved millions of souls throughout the years. It's your word that's transformed time and history. It's your word that has power beyond anything that we could possibly wrap our minds around. And it's that same word that every 
seemingly ordinary Sunday at a small local church or a big one or one where we're traveling or whatever, where we get to study it and open up together. And it's that same power that created the stars in the heavens, Lord, that we get to study every single Sunday morning together. And so we come in here with expectant hearts, knowing that there is power in your preached word, knowing there is power when the people of God gather together. There's power when we're unified in our purpose and our passion, when we join our voices in singing praise. There's power because your Holy Spirit is here with us. And so I pray you surprise us, that you catch us off guard. I pray that you do some sort of work inside of our hearts, minds, and souls that maybe we're not even ready for. And if anything that we can, I'm sure there's an individual journey for all of us, but if anything we could have collectively today, our request is you surprise us with a greater joy. You surprise us by reminding us the, the elementary 101 lessons of your faith, that you saved us and that you have so much for us. And we have found the greatest joy in all the world in having a relationship with you. And so give us an excitement Give us an eagerness. Give us a strength and an energy to live out our faith each day and to want more and to be hungry, God, for your word and for your presence in our lives. Thank you for being here. Thank you that no Sunday is really ordinary, whether there's three people or 3,000 gathered in a room here to worship with that purpose. It's so, it's a miracle. It's unique. It's special. And so really, really grateful to be able to participate in that together today. So thank you for this space and for allowing us to be here. Thank you for your grace that welcomes us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a man named Jia Jiang who became famous, not like celebrity famous. Many of you probably don't know who he is, but like TED Talk famous, if that counts, for starting a blog called 100 Days of Rejection. So he shares a story of how he had this really childhood traumatic experience. experience. He's in elementary school, and his teacher like, had him stand up in front of the class, and they like, shamed him. It was really bad. But basically, this childhood trauma, I'm laughing, but I shouldn't be laughing. It's so sad. Um, it prevented him all of his life from accomplishing his goals, primarily because he had this crippling fear of rejection. So when it came to work, he couldn't put himself out there. He never wanted to be like looked at. Like, you know, it was just everything in his life. He just kept feeling like he was being undercut because he was afraid of some sort of form of rejection. And so fast forward to from elementary school all of his life to his mid-30s, he decided he's gonna he wanted to make a change in his life. He wanted to do something about it. And so he decided to undergo what he called rejection therapy and basically do what he could to desensitize himself to rejection so he wouldn't be so shook by it anymore. So for 100 days straight, he decided he would make a very odd request to somebody in some way, shape, or form, and a different one each day where he would be certainly rejected in order to overcome his fear and to desensitize him if 100 days straight somebody says no or like looks at him weird or judges him. So here are some of the things that he did. Day one, start off by asking a random stranger if I can borrow $100. So he went up to a stranger, asked, hey, do you mind if I have $100? Day two was to go to his favorite burger restaurant and after finishing his meal, go back to the counter and ask if he could have a burger refill. Day eight, go to the front of the line on Black Friday at Best Buy and ask the number one person if he could trade spots with him. 
Day 36, ask his pet smart groomer to give him a haircut after he grooms his dog. So, I mean, he seems like a comedian. Like, he's very creative in his 100 days of, of therapy, or rejection therapy. If you're wondering, the burger place did not give him a refill. The person in line at Best Buy did not give him his spot. A lot of these were met with very angry rejection and weird looks. So we're in this sermon series that we've called Come and See, and it's based upon the scripture. Come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. And what we're focusing on is living our lives, acting as these beacons, as welcomers, celebrators, thanksgiving and praisers, to invite the world to behold, come and see all the good things that God has done, whether on an individual, personal relationship level or on a big scale level, in your office, to your roommate, everything in between, that we would be those people living lives of faith that have this message, come and see all the good that the Lord has done. But there's something that makes it hard for us to live that life. And I think it's something that a lot of us share with this man. And and what it isn't, what doesn't get in the way, I believe, I truly believe what doesn't get in the way for us to live this come and see life, it's not that we don't have enough conviction, that we don't believe in the gospel enough, or we doubt God's power, or we don't actually love the people in our life enough to actually bless them with with this message of good news or, or anything like that. I actually think for most of us, the fear is what we share with him is rejection. We're afraid, crippling fear, some of us, of looking weird, of giving people more reason to judge us or for people to even change their opinion about us, the one that we want them to hold. Maybe shame that gets coupled with that. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of the opinions of people to the point that it keeps us from actually living that way. And so for today's scripture text, we're going to be looking at a very simple and popular example, and hopefully not just an example, but an inspiration. We'll be reminded to not live dictated by how people feel about you, about us, to not live our lives and make adjustments based upon how much shame it may or may not produce, but rather living in the freedom of expressing our joy in Jesus Christ and sharing that with others, being those loud beacons of come and see the good the Lord has done without fear ever, ever getting in the way of that. And so today we'll be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 6, 12 through 23, and the story of, of David. So let's read this text together, starting from verse 12. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went, up, went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from the window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread and cakes of dates and a cake of raisins to each person and the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went went to their homes. When David returned to his home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, 
how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow, fellow would. David said, David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we read in the text that the ark of the Lord was being brought to the city of David, and this meant that the presence of God would be there with the people, which meant great, great blessing. Right? In the beginning of the passage and even in the verses that I, before that I didn't read for us today, we read that Samuel writes that the ark of the Lord was in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And for those three months, his house and his household entirety was so blessed. And so now the ark is on the way to David. This means the ark is coming with blessings for him and the people. The presence of God will be there dwelling with them. And so because of this, we read, that David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. So he cannot help contain his joy, so he breaks out in spontaneous dance. And I love how it, it actually says here, and this is not just like, um, like this one uh, biblical translations thing. It's like all of them share this with all his might. So I imagine him like sweating and like running out of breath because he's dancing with so much enthusiasm. This is not choreographed. He's not BTSing here. He's just ugly, like ugly dancing, whatever comes out of him. When I was preparing this message, I don't know if this is going to connect with anybody. Anybody watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Oh, I heard a gasp of joy. Thank you. I'm thinking of Amy, Sant- Amy Santiago, the, you know, the, the this that she does every time she's freaking out. It's like ugly dancing, but he doesn't care. He's just... Whatever is just going to ooze out of him in joy is what's going to come out. Later, not not such only the dancing, we read that he offers sacrifices and worship. He continues to worship by leading a meal together for the people, bread and cakes here, here, here for everybody. He's going all out with his expression of joy. In contrast, we read that this woman named Michal, identified here as Saul's daughter, she criticizes him. Samuel writes that she despised him. I didn't know you could get so angry from watching someone dance. Um, And I can only imagine her disgust and her disapproval as she just rips into him. And here she's identified as Saul's daughter, right? And if you don't know who she is, she has another identification marker. It's also David's wife. She's David's wife. The reason why she's called Saul's daughter here is Samuel is making a larger point in the narrative, which I don't have time to get into. But to call her Saul's daughter here instead of David's wife He's very purposeful. So his own wife hates his guts because of how he's acting. She's like ripping into him, criticizing him. Like, who is this? Like, like you're a vulgar fellow, right? Like, it's, it's she, she can't stand him. And so she's just tearing him down, and this is his response. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. What David's saying is, I'm not worried about my dignity and honor. I am absolutely willing to humiliate myself for God's honor. 
I'm fine with being judged and misunderstood, even by my own spouse or anybody else. I don't care which eyes are on me and how they feel about me. I am willing to be humiliated because of my joy in God. And so the point of the message is so simple that this story of David reminds us this. Do not be ashamed of expressing your joy in God. Don't be ashamed of your faith. Don't be ashamed of the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of what in your life changed you forever, changed your eternity. Hopefully it means everything to you. is the most important part of your very being. We do not need to have any shame. I love how David, even as the king, he doesn't care about any of the factors that should make him rein it in and keep it together, man. Like, dude, like, chill out. You're making a fool out of yourself. All the potential reasons, it's not that he's unwise or that he's actually a dumb person or he's out of control. We don't read elsewhere in scripture that David was super immature and he he just had no control over his emotions. I think it's because he, he is aware of all these things. Yeah, I'm the king. People are watching. But I think his, his, his joy outweighs any reason to keep it together. There is a calculated math thing going on here. It's like, what's more worth it? And my joy in the ark of God coming and being in here with us, the blessed people, completely outweighs people judging me or thinking that I'm being a fool. And I wonder if we don't actually do that calculation in our mind enough in our day-to-day. Shouldn't our joy in knowing that we were once dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you are alive in Christ and you're a new creation? Shouldn't the knowledge that you don't actually, if you're in Christ, you don't need to wonder what's going to happen to you when you die. Something that significant. Shouldn't knowing that you are unconditionally loved, that no matter what you do, that will not be changed. You could be rotten as rottenness can be. And if you are in Christ, he's still going to love you without changing. Shouldn't knowing that you are precious in the sight of God, that knowing your worth and value is not at all tied to what you accomplish in this life, how big your bank account is, what your title is at work, anything. Shouldn't all of those things completely outweigh, oh, but that coworker is going to be weirded out by me or, or both those people, those strangers who I'm never going to see again, frankly. Like, what are they going to think about me? Or, oh, but what if, what if my boss doesn't actually promote me in the end? Or what if we just paused more often to think about that? Because I think we do think a lot about the what ifs. Oh, like, yeah, but, you know, my, my workplace is, like, really progressive. They're not really cool with religion. And we, we, we comp- compute that all the time. But what if we compared it? with the fact that when you die, you know exactly what's going to happen to you. And we were to outweigh, that joy would completely outweigh any potential, I don't really care what you think of me. What are all these things compared to knowing that because of the gospel, all of the riches of heaven are being stored up and waiting for your arrival? What if we reflected on that a little bit more? How would that change the way that we expressed our joy that we have greatest news in all of history. And this is just a simple reminder, but maybe a needed one, that we have the greatest joy in all of human history, a gift given to you and me, and we never need to be ashamed of expressing that joy. So let's express that joy in Jesus. 
without hesitation, without filter, without shame, like David, dancing and being willing to be humiliated no matter who ca- or who's looking at us. And secondly, we do not need to be ashamed of inviting others to their greatest joy. This is the come and see life that we're talking about. Do not be ashamed of inviting others to their greatest joy. See, living this come and see life, being outward in our faith, it's hard when we have the, the mental mindset, the perspective of having to drag people into believing something that they don't want to or that they would never want. But what if we were to pause and realize that when we are sharing the good news of Christ, that if by God's grace this person is open to hearing and accepting that you are giving them what would be their greatest joy. Because sharing faith was never meant to be coercion. It's a sharing of joy, an invitation to it. There's a show on Apple TV that's like blowing up and everyone's talking about it called Severance. And I recently finished it last week. And I don't know if anybody else got hooked on it, but I was definitely hooked on it. And I watched Severance. Actually, I didn't hear about it from social media because I don't really have any. I heard about it from my wife. She was like, oh my God, babe, you, you have to stop. Like she was like about to shut the TV off on me. Don't watch this crap. You have to watch Severance. Like it's going to change your life. She just went on and on and on. The next morning, hey, did you start Severance yet? No, I didn't. Leave me alone. She just kept talking about Severance, Severance, Severance. And so I watched it, and it was really good. See, we all have those experiences, whether you're the person who won't shut up about it or you're the listener who people won't shut up to you about begging you to try fill in the blank. Think about how badly you want your friends to try the best new restaurant that you try. Oh, my God, you have no idea how good this place is. You have to go. I can't count how many times people here have been like, you haven't had Yume yet? Oh, my God, like dragging people to get udon in, in Porter. Like, it's almost like you're offended. You're an awful human being. You haven't had human. You know, like food or restaurants, movies, TV shows. Maybe it's not severance for you, but you've probably watched something and you were like, oh, my God, you have to go. Let's go right now. I'll watch it three times. I don't care. Like, I'll pay for it again. Why would you hesitate to share it, even to the point of being annoying? Why would you contain your excitement about something that brings you so much joy and you're convinced that they're going to feel that too. That's why we don't shut up. That's why we're so eager. Because you know how good it makes you feel when that dish touches your tongue and you swallow it. And you know with 100% certainty that that person who's never tried it before is going to be like, oh my God, you're right. Why would you hesitate? You don't. Because you know this thing that just brings me so much pleasure. I can't wait for you to feel that too. See, I wonder how much changing, uh, how much sharing our faith or living this come and see life were to just really be different for us if we stopped thinking about me so much, like wondered less about us and how people were going to, like my insecurity, what people will think about me and more about what the listener would experience if the grace of God comes upon them and their heart softens and they receive, and what would happen to their eternity. See, evangelism is inviting people to what will be their greatest joy. We have nothing to be ashamed about that. If anything, you should be excited about it. And the reality is God works in such powerful ways. He surprises us in displaying his power because he loves his children. 
So as I mentioned, this guy, Ja, he went on this 100-day journey of rejection. And if you listen to his story, listen to his TED Talk. It's pretty fun. Um, he's a really funny and uh, you know, creative speaker. You find out that he actually failed in some ways. And when I first like, was reading his blog and realized he's failed, I thought he, like, the obvious failure would be, oh, you didn't see it all the way through. Doing anything for 100 days is hard. If I said, hey, do one push-up for 100 days straight, probably most of us wouldn't make it. Not because it's too hard, but we would forget some days. It, doing anything for 100 days is, is difficult enough, let alone putting yourself into a place where your adrenaline spikes, your heartbeat is like going nuts. He put himself into his worst fear for 100 days straight. But that actually isn't what happened. That's, he did it. He did 100 days straight. The, the way that he failed was he didn't always get rejected. A lot of his wonky requests actually were received or accepted, and some even with happiness and joy. So here are some of the things that he went. He thought of some creative, like, oh, what's some weird thing I can you know, weird somebody out with? And he went. And to his surprise, they said yes. The first time he got accepted was he walked into Krispy Kreme, and he asked if he, they could make him donuts the shape of Olympic rings. So like, you know, the circle, 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 like this, and like interlocked. And so he went to the counter, hey, like, can you make me Olympic ring donuts? And thinking that the lady would be like, no. But she was like, hold on a second, got out a pen and paper, started drawing. You mean like this? Uh, I don't know if the fryer will work. Hold on, hold on. And she, just sit over there. She comes back out with fried, like freshly in the rings, colored and painted the proper colors. And then she gave it to him for free. You know what? It's on me. Just take it. And so he was like, oh my gosh, like what just happened? Another thing that he got accepted, he knocked on a random person's door with the stems and roots of flowers, not the actual like ugly brown branches. He said, hey, can I plant this in your yard? And the dude was like, no, but you should go across the street and ask her, my neighbor. So he went and she was like, of course you can. So he spent time with the stranger digging a hole in their yard and putting in flower stems. He was flying on Southwest one day, and he went up and said, hey, can I make the announcements? And they were like, well, actually, legally, you can't do the security ones, but you can do the other ones. So he went up to the front of the plane with a thing. was like, hi, everybody. I don't work here, but, and he, he gave announcements on Southwest. This guy went to mattress firm. He had this plan of being ridiculous, and he said to the staff, hey, you know, like, you guys say that we can test the beds, but we tested it out for like a minute. But you sleep for eight hours at night, so how am I really supposed to trust my purchase? Do you mind if I sleep here? And she's like, yeah, sure, I'll wake you up. So he slept there, and the employee, like she promised, woke him up later. There are more. I left out a lot. There were a lot of these 100 days where he did weird things and people said yes. He was convinced that he would get rejected. Even It's because he purposely went out of the way to do ridiculous things. And many of them said yes, and some with enthusiasm said yes. The lady who had him plant the flowers in his backyard, she loved flowers. Why would I say no to a stranger who's offering me flowers kind of thing? The mattress firm employee said he was the only person who ever asked to sleep there. But in her mind, of course it would make sense that you would want to sleep on the bed that you might buy. So why would I say no to you? See, it's funny because it's, it's like this guy's silly story and his silly blog. It, it realizes how much you miss out on because of fear of rejection, fear of how people might think of you, fear of people judging us, and then even assuming what people are going to think of you, which could be completely wrong. 
Of course, the Southwest employee is going to be like, dude, take your seat and get out of here. Instead of being like, yeah, sure, you can do that. And so he has a bunch of these feel-good stories of people saying yes and being surprised that not everything in life is like that, even when we think it is. Now, I'm talking about these fuzzy, funny stories. Let's do this, like, leap of when it comes to sharing our faith. This guy is talking about, like, inspiring people to, don't be afraid, put yourself out there. I'm talking about changing someone's eternity, not brightening their day. I'm talking about changing generations of their family and their legacy. I'm talking about way more than just a nice employee receiving your weird comment and actually being smiling back at you. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, the God of the universe, working in and through us, carrying not... We're carrying with the power of God, not a a request for donuts in a weird shape. We're carrying good news. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who wants his children to come to him. What do we have to be ashamed about? What do we have to fear? And so church, I want to encourage us this week to simply live the come and see life. To not with contain or don't withhold your joy, to let it out like David did, dancing, even to the point if people are criticizing you, let it happen. I'm willing to be humiliated. You can do it all you want. It's not going to outweigh the joy that I have in knowing my Heavenly Father. And let it emanate to matter, to make a difference to the people around you. Share this experience with you. Invite other people to share this joy. Just these simple truths that we see in this morning's message. We never, ever, ever, ever need to be ashamed of celebrating the joy that we have. And we never, ever, ever, ever need to be ashamed of being messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ and inviting others to what will be their greatest joy. So let's bow in prayer. Lord, remind us of what we have in you. Remind us of what occurred when we confessed our sins and gave our life over to you. Remind us of what scripture says about what is waiting for us in eternity. Remind us of the titles that you give us, of son and daughter, of heir. Remind us of what scripture tells us of where we'll be sitting when we are in heaven. Remind us of what we have in you. And I pray that that joy would just overflow in all of our hearts and praise your name, bless your name as we sang earlier. And I pray that it would be it would be visible to the world around us through our actions, through our conduct, and certainly also through directly our words, our message of sharing and spreading this good news with others who do not know you yet. Lord, we, you know that we live a life of 
I guess just being scared. Feeling like, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's not everywhere in the world. At least in Boston, we're in a city that's not super friendly to religion. Where a lot of us are in academia, which is not super friendly to religion. So we, we're always kind of wondering, oh man, but what if they think this of me? Or what if they assume this of me? And we're, we're worried. And, and, I, and I don't want to make too little of that. But what I do ask of you, Lord, is that you would make much of yourself so that all the joy and the benefit we have in knowing you would outweigh any shame we might experience, any weird look that we might receive, any true or untrue assumption about us. I pray that all of us would share the heart of David and joyfully exclaim to any haters, I would gladly be humiliated before all of you in celebrating the presence of God in my life. And Father, I pray for all of our friends and family and and co-workers and classmates and all those in our life who do not know you. I pray, Lord, that we would not contain or withhold this joy to ourselves, but teach us to be messengers of the good news and joyfully and excitedly going out and inviting others to their joy as well. So, Father, use Cornerstone here in, in, in Boston, in greater Boston. Use Cornerstone in our, in our workplaces, in our, in our schools, in our campuses, in our homes, in our apartment buildings. Use us in our communities to be that light, to show everybody around us that we have found the greatest joy in all the world, and it's you. And so thank you for all that you've done in our lives. Let us not go a single day without pausing to reflect all the good that you have done. And I pray that that would transform in response to adding a come and see to other people all the good that you have done. So we rejoice in everything that you are. We celebrate you, our God, our Savior, and King. And we make much of you today and through our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.